This is the Bald Scientist Podcast, where we talk about science, from the factual to the fictional, and sometimes a bit of both, with the good doctor, One R. Pagan. scientist. Welcome to episode 19 of the Bold Scientist Podcast, and boy do I have a good one for you. Have you ever met a quantum engineer? No, <laughs> neither did I, until I met today's guest, Dr. Clarice Aiello, a professor of electrical engineering at UCLA. We have a very interesting conversation about quantum biology, scientific misconceptions, education, and more importantly, about a great initiative that she's proposing to solve a problem that affects many students when planning to attend scientific conferences. Plus, at a personal level, I had fun. Dr. Aiello is delightful, scary smart, very nice, and has a genuine interest on education and the welfare of her students. Please join us, and I guarantee that you will learn a thing or two. I know I did. Okay, hello, Clarice. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you, Una, for having me here. I'm super excited to talk to your audience. Yeah, so am I. I'm I'm super. I'm a super nerd in science, <laughs> and I'm so looking forward to talk about uh, quantum biology and many other things. Uh, and it is an, an honor and a pleasure to have you here. So, so thanks again. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm always very happy to share my science which is a little bit off the beaten path, and especially with people from the, the biosciences. Absolutely, absolutely. So in that sense, uh, would you mind talking to us about your background, education, anything as much or, or as little as you want? Yeah, sure. So this accent that you're hearing, uh, I am from Brazil. Uh-huh. Right? So, so I was born and raised in Brazil, and I started my undergraduate studies in engineering in Brazil. Okay. So uh, here's a... It's not a fun fact, but a a fact. Uh, uh, I've always uh, loved physics, but uh, in Brazil, uh, unfortunately, there's very little money for the basic sciences. So um, I there's more money into the applied sciences. So I started um, in Brazil my studies in undergrad as an electrical engineer. Right. So I did two years of undergraduate in Brazil and then I got a fellowship to finish my studies in France. So I finished my undergraduate in France and then I came to the US to do my PhD. I did my PhD in uh, electrical engineering. And Uh, where did you do your PhD? I'm sorry. 
in a very cold place in Boston at MIT. Emma, you're an electrical engineer from MIT? Yes. You're yes. so smart. No, no. There's smart people everywhere. And that's yeah, but, 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 but you are very smart. <laughs> no. No. So, but, but it gets funkier, right? So okay, okay, okay. okay. I, I did my PhD in electrical engineering. I did two postdocs. So a, a postdoctoral research is uh, when you finish your PhD and you're just working as a researcher on someone else's lab. Uh-huh. To, to, to do research with other professors and to see other things. So after I finished my PhD in electrical engineering, I did one postdoc in chemistry and one postdoc in bioengineering. <laughs> so it, I know it gets funky, right? And uh, right now, um, since at the end of 2019, just before the pandemic, I have my own lab uh, where Excellent. I try to mingle a lot of the things from my past, I tried uh-huh. to mingle electrical engineering uh-huh. um, with biology, with chemistry, and importantly, with quantum physics. And quantum <laughs> physics uh, is like the laws of nature that kick in at very tiny length scales. Okay. Um, and um, there's evidence, incomplete evidence, but very compelling evidence that nature might be using these funky laws of quantum mechanics to function and to function optimally. Okay. This uh, is a field that is called a quantum biology. It has been around for a while. Yeah, I have to confess, if I may interrupt you for a second. <laughs> My first uh, exposure to the idea of quantum biology was the book of Dr. McFadden and Al-Khalili. It's an excellent book. Okay. Yes. I was so curious because I never, it never occurred to me that those two fields could be combined. Yes, so um, f- folks, uh, up there, there uh, it's a book called Life on the Edge, and it's um, a very good layman book that describes the different flavors of quantum biology, the different mm-hmm. ways in which nature might be harnessing the funky laws of quantum mechanics to function. Wow, you're blowing my mind here because you're a true interdisciplinary scientist. Yes. Yeah. So. Uh, yes, go for it. Uh, okay. So, a couple of things. Going a little back in time, uh, because uh, as a woman in science, yes, that's something that makes me very happy because that's something that it's changing a little bit, but it used to be, you know this very well, yep. that people will tell young girls, you are no good at math. You're not good at science. And and that's just stupid in my view because... It's absolutely stupid, yeah. Yeah, me, my wife is a gifted medical technologist, Okay. My daughter, she's a psychologist, uh, right? So um, my first research group, there were three girls. Yes. Two of them are doc- doctors today, one of them. So think about when, when you were uh, a little girl, what got you into science? Well, how how do you, did you discover the sciences? So I, I don't think I have a science origin story. First of all, I want to say that girls out there people identifying as girls you do belong in science you do belong wherever you want to be amen amen <laughs> so i am i'm an only child so i i, I was a very quiet child mm-hmm. and i grew up uh, liking books liking to read and write uh-huh. so uh, i ended up in engineering a little bit 
but not by mistake, but just because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I thought, well, maybe I'll become a journalist because I like books. I like to write. And then I'm like, ah, maybe I'll, I'll apply for something else just in case. And then I didn't get into the journalism school. And I did get in the engineering school. And I'm like, okay, let's Go figure <laughs> what I can do out of it. And uh, in a may I say, I'm happy you didn't get into journalism school. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least so. Um, professional scientists yeah. who spend a lot of time writing grants. So that's actually like writing is a skill yeah. that I still use a lot, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, but, uh, but, but yeah, and I ended up in, in engineering school and again, it's fine too, right? We don't need to, to, to know from the age of six, what we want to do for the rest of our lives. Mm -hmm. And our, mm -hmm. my story, just like everyone else's story, probably yours, probably too, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's not a linear story. It, it no. goes, it ebbs and flows. And again, coincidences, things in life detours that get you somewhere and because I didn't get into journalism school I became an engineer I became a physicist and now I study like these funky yeah. things you're at the very edge of of knowledge uh, as it were because I think it's a fun thing to be a fun place to be uh, yeah. because many things are not discovered yet uh, in yeah. that sense and then you are you have front seat uh, in, in those discoveries Yes, and I do think that the big discoveries in science in the very near future are going to be discoveries that interface different sciences, right? So this, this type of thing is called interdisciplinarity. Yeah. It's interesting to see and to hope to see how all of this is going to evolve. For example, in universities, undergraduates, and even professors, they're all siloed in departments Absolutely. and we hope that at some point those those barriers are going to be shot down somehow you know so that i, I agree i agree because i, I yeah. like telling my students when i because i teach undergraduates mainly i, I work at a predominantly undergraduate yeah. institution but we also do research one of my classes is bio, biological sciences for non-majors so the cool. other one is pharmacology. That's my thing. And I teach uh, advanced students and everything. But I tell my undergraduate non-majors that science does not exist because nature exists. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, and we, exactly. Yeah. So we are like-minded. I knew uh, uh, this would be a co fun conversation <laughs> because we divide nature in pieces that can be managed by different people. Yeah. Okay. So, and they can be condensed into a new area. So just like what, what you're doing. So I, I've read about quantum biology, obviously, uh, and I'm, uh, I'm no expert. My, my background is in general sciences, biochemistry, and pharmacology and neurobiology. But I know that quantum biology, it's beginning to be found everywhere, like in the orientation instincts of birds, for example. That's yes. one. Photosynthesis. Yes. Uh, uh, right. And um, I'm sure that at the molecular level, receptor ligand interactions, all of these things are beginning to get studied in that. But there is one thing that I read not so long ago that actually blew my mind. And I wanted to ask you about somebody claimed that they were able to put a whole organism at tardigrade. Oh, no. Yeah, no. I know. Uh, that's no. why I'm asking you, because no. I really don't know how. No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. In so, two, 
yes. quote unquote quantum superposition. And that, that to me, that it didn't sound right. Can you clarify that for us? Yes. So this is the type of claim that actually pushes the field back a couple of steps. Exactly. It's unfortunate and typical quantum biology experiments have been predominantly done by uh, biologists and chemists. So there is a need to bring experimental quantum physicists and quantum engineers like myself to the field to start doing experiments. There are some people out there trying to claim those uh, very grandiose things that they can uh, that they can uh, put a whole organism in some uh, weird quantum state so again those are claims that harm the field okay and that's part of uh, the reason why there's so many skeptical people about quantum biology Mm -hmm. right so I i can understand that there is a long hard road towards proving unambiguously that quantum mechanics is playing a role in biology i am confident that to date like for proteins in solution there is no whatsoever doubt that there's like quantum things happening Mm -hmm. but the odd like the next length scale of evidence occurs from big organisms that behave in a way consistent with a quantum theory or or quantum something happening Mm -hmm. inside them, right? Plates of cells. But to date, there is no whatsoever experiment that unambiguously confirms or refutes whether nature in vivo is using Mm -hmm. the laws of quantum mechanics. All the data comes either from test tube chemistry or from correlative evidence from like big plates of cells, right? And it's very hard to bridge those two landscapes. That's mm-hmm. actually what we're, we're trying to, to do in, in, in our lab. And uh-huh. it's, I don't think that's going to happen at the level of a whole organism, like a tardigrade or whatever. Yeah. And I think that big claims like this, they deserve to be taken cautiously, mm-hmm. right? The same with uh, quantum biology theories that cannot be verified or falsified. Like in the, uh, I hear you because I, I don't know if uh, I have a feeling that you will think uh, the same thing as I'm going to describe it. Because for me, a pet peeve that I have is that whenever somebody does not understand something, it's quantum. Oh yes. Uh, yeah. uh, okay. Oh, oh or 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 is about consciousness, but I know. Don't, yeah, but we don't know what consciousness is. I know, I know, I know. Uh, I know. Uh, so that that's the thing. We know that something <laughs> consciousness exists. We don't know what it is, and that's why I tell people every time in my classes, it doesn't matter who tells you. Nobody yes. knows. Nobody knows. Nobody and knows. There is no whatsoever evidence that that might be indicating this now that there's any quantumness related to consciousness yet there might be in the future but exactly not, not yet and again it's there is no undisputed high-tech non on, not only correlative data mm-hmm. that is proving that nature is using those quantum mechanical things correct me if i'm wrong so from my perspective uh, as a biologist pharmacologist and from that that perspective i am five five years old Okay, in my understanding of quantum biology, okay? Can I, can I tell a secret? Please. 
my understanding of biology is, is like that too. I have never taken a bio class beyond high school. So oh I'm learning, I'm learning all the way. So please correct me if I say uh, something. That, no, no, but, I understand uh, the concept, not the biology. I would love to have a, a, a conversation about biology. I, I, I guess this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. So Nice, <laughs> nice. So, because my understanding is that, okay, for example, if I'm moving my hand, I know that our listeners right now, they cannot see me moving my hand. There must be some quantum processes sub-microscopically, but there is nothing that my hand, anything quantum that happens with my hand, because there's so many atoms and subatomic particles and entities that statistically speaking, there's so many that they cannot achieve coherence. Yes, and, and this is a, a, a very important, and this is the reason why we live in a big classical world described by the laws of Newton mechanics that we learn in high school. We're all built up of quantum objects, of atoms, of exactly. molecules. But when quantum objects start to be put together, they start interacting in, in non-organized ways. For example, everything that exists at a finite temperature right at room temperature it vibrates uh-huh. and those vibrations are sort of random and it, this creates for example uncontrolled interactions among quantum objects and these uncontrolled interactions bring this set of quantum objects towards classicality in that uh-huh. big set of quantum objects is better well described by the laws of classical mechanics as opposed to the laws of quantum mechanics okay it's so, like consensus in the same in the in the I, i'm gonna tell you like a stupid analogy the way i understand it no stupid analogies, analogies. <laughs> okay. because if i'm by myself right here yeah i can do whatever i want because I, i'm in a quantum state but if i am in a big classroom my behavior will be constrained because i have to behave in a consensus way with everybody else Yes, I, I, okay. I totally like this analogy. I yeah. know a little bit. Yay. Yeah, and um, the, the, the thing is that the only thing that I would add to the analogy I uh, do not please. know how is that even if you're alone, at some point you're going to get, well, well if you're alone, alone, no, but, but even, okay, okay, so that's important. In the classroom, um, you might start doing your own thing, but at some point you will get driven into the consensus thing okay but in any case there is a finite window of time during which you're you're in the classroom and you're still doing your own thing and that's important for uh for for the things that i study either for quantum technologies or for quantum biology that everything that starts quantum dies classical but even if there's a finite window of time during which things are well described by the laws of quantum mechanics, this final w- window of time is still useful for the weird laws of quantum as twin hands things. Uh-huh, uh-huh. For example, I am trained in a field called technological quantum sensing. You can actually prove that if you use quantum objects, say an electron as a sensor, your measurement is improved. In other words, the sensor quantumness enhances the measurement, right? So um, you can have, say, an electron, and uh, the electron will at some point thermalize with the other things in its environment, with the other quantum objects around. But for the finite window of time during which it's well described by the laws of quantum mechanics, it can give us enhanced quantum sensing, quantum information. Okay, you're sharpening a pencil. 
Say that again. How, okay. That if you get a, a pencil like yes. this with a blunt tip, the electron sharps it, sharpens it so it can be used for measure. Oh, awesome. I love it. I love it. And then it loses the quantum property. And okay. You can engineer it again so that it's sharp again. That is, oh, okay. I love your analogies. I love <laughs> oh, feel free to, to use it in your lectures for, a right, for the right price. I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm I'll loving credit this. you. I'll credit you. I love the analogies. I love okay, the analogies. Per- thank you because I'm loving this. I'm geeking out big time. So in that sense, yes, I, I have a, like a two-part question. Okay? Yes. The first part would be what is your current focus on research yes. pertaining quantum biology? Yes. And the second part would be in addition to the field, uh, to your specific area, any of the major research areas in quantum biology? Yes. So um, I like a flavor of quantum biology that has to do with chemical reactions that depend on the quantum property of spin. So bear with me. Okay. Uh, Spin is a property of uh, quantum objects, for example, electrons or atomic nuclei. And... um, Spin is as fundamental as, say, mass and charge. For example, if you take an electron, an electron has has mass, an electron has charge, uh, negative charge. But if you think about the concept of charge, it's really a construct to interpret how a charged object or or an object interacts with electric fields, right? A charged object can have positive charge or negative charge. And it interacts differently with an electric field if it has positive or negative charge. And it will generate a magnetic field too. That's that's the, the, the thing. The equivalent property for showing how for understanding how uh, objects interact with magnetic fields is a spin. Okay? okay. So charge measures how well an object interacts with electric fields, spin measures how well an object interacts with magnetic fields. And in the same way that uh, charges are represented by positive or negative, again, they're they're just Mm -hmm. two names, are usually represented by an arrow that can be up or down. And usually we say spin up or spin down. And um, so electrons, for example, have spins. And it's been known in the field of uh, test tube chemistry. It's a field Mm -hmm. called radical chemistry. Okay. There are... And, and that's undisputed in test tube chemistry, that there are chemical reactions that depend on this quantum property of spin. So this is what happens. There's a chemical reaction happening. And at some point, the chemical reaction comes to a crossroads. And at that point, at that crossroads, the chemical reaction actually looks for a certain electron spin state. If the spin is up, if it interacts in a certain way with the magnetic field, the chemical reaction continues to one branch. If that certain special electron spin is down, the chemical reaction continues through another different branch. It's a switch. It's a switch. It's absolutely a switch. And the final macroscopic products of those two branches are different. Okay, so this very finicky quantum property of an electron spin can actually have big time macroscopic consequences on the fate of chemical reactions. Okay. Which is super, super unusual, oh. right? Super. Uh, that, that has implications for enzymology, for example. It has implications for a yeah. whole lot of stuff, and and, oh. and and 
G g give me two minutes. I'll get. No, no, please. I, I, I'm, trust me, you have my attention. No, no, no. It's super awesome because those uh, spin-dependent chemical reactions, they, they, they're, they're everywhere. Before I give you a couple of examples where, where that okay. happened, I have to, to give you one more piece of information. The next piece of information that you need is the fact that if, so chemical reaction is happening, it comes to a crossroads. If while the chemical reaction is at that crossroads and it's looking for the, the, the spin state of the electron, mm -hmm. if there is a magnetic field that can talk, interact with that particular electron spin, it can actually alter the probability of the switch. Okay, it can alter the probability that the chemical reaction continues through this branch or the other branch. Okay. So a brief interaction with a, with, from, uh, between an external magnetic field and an electron spin might actually influence which path the chemical reaction continues through, if the switch is flipped or not. How, how brief... An interaction. We're talking about Planck time, or no, 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 no. We're, we're talking about from nanoseconds to microseconds. Nanoseconds. Okay, okay, okay. Right, and and um, we can talk about that like a little bit later. Uh, but this is actually much faster than other biological processes that occur at like at the femtosecond late scale. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, in 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 physics, microseconds to nanoseconds is 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 already like oh, it, it, oh it's really lo lo long time yeah in biochemistry too yeah 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 so because what i'm thinking about is uh, again receptor ligand interactions that uh, when the ligand has a particular shape that locks with the receptor sh shape okay yes. and, and sometimes it's like this exactly exactly yes. so oh my god this is so interesting i knew it was going to be interesting but this is cool But, but the cool thing is that, like, this is known from test tube chemistry, right? There's no doubt that those two things happen, that there are chemical reactions that depend on electron spins, like big time, microscopic, uh -huh. right? and that a brief, short interaction with magnetic fields might actually influence how those chemical reactions act. Okay. And for reasons I won't have time to explain, those spin-dependent chemical reactions they are sensitive to small magnetic fields on the order of the magnetic field of the earth okay. or on the order of the magnetic field produced by your cell phone when uh -huh. you go to your head. So actually, they're not responsible to, to like strong magnetic fields. If mm -hmm. you put a test tube with those proteins that, that can sustain spin-dependent chemical reactions into an MRI machine, which like a magnetic resonance machine with... Yeah, oh yeah, those are huge. It's not going to respond. So what we care okay. about are weak magnetic fields. Weak interactions. Is, okay. Yes, yes, yes. Which is important because it means that it's actually going to be relatively easy to mess up for the good or for the bad with uh -huh. those chemical reactions. Okay. And they will also be easy to examine. Well, easy-ish to examine. That's, that, that's the, the, the other part. That's okay. The other, that's the other part. But we are in a magnetic field regime that doesn't require big magnets or anything. Okay. So, but this is the test tube chemistry. Okay. All of this started coming to biology when in 78, a um, theoretical biophysicist wanted to understand how birds navigate. Okay, so birds have been known, again, not controversial. They have been known to uh, navigate when they migrate. 
mm-hmm. using at least as a partial Q, the magnetic field of the Earth, which again is orders of magnitude smaller than the magnetic field that you sense when you put your cell phone close to your face, tiny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And uh, after many failed attempts to explain how birds might be doing this, there was this theoretical biophysicist who made this, like people thought at the time that it was a heresy for the this. <laughs> he was like, huh, were this type of spin-dependent chemical reaction, quantum-mass-dependent chemical reactions happening inside a bird within physiological conditions, right? Birds and organisms in general could sense magnetic fields or interact mm-hmm. with magnetic fields because they could sense the different physiological concentrations of the products coming from those two different branches of those mm-hmm. independent chemical reactions. That is maybe, and that has never been either proven or disproven, maybe an interaction with the magnetic field might actually change how photosensitive uh, the retina of a bird uh-huh is right the, the different products of the chemical reactions that are influenced by the magnetic fields give different sensitivities to light in the bird's retina so that the bird looking one one way or the other might actually see magnetic field lines in in uh-huh. like modulations of of light that in in, in the image made by by the eye okay that, that was a heretical hypothesis yes. right but people started looking uh, for animal, animal because birds, animal proteins that could sustain such spin-dependent chemical reactions. And at that point, there was only one protein, that animal protein that was known to sustain such spin-dependent chemical reactions. That was a protein called cryptochrome. Uh Cryptochrome um, is a protein that exists in the eyes of birds, in the antennas of migrating butterflies. Monarch butterflies also migrate following the magnetic Uh field of the earth, it seems. Uh, But actually, let me tell you a secret. Cryptochrome is in all our human cells. Okay. Because it also has circadian rhythm regulation functions. Okay. Okay. And uh, it turns out that um, cryptochrome is super widespread throughout the tree of life. Very simple organisms from like single-celled algae to to humans, we all express cryptochrome. It seems to be super well conserved, Mm -hmm. whatever this means in biological terms. Uh, Well, in evolutionary theory, something is conserved, it's useful. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. And um, so people started trying to understand cryptochrome. And in test tube chemistry, for cryptochromes in solution, there is no doubt that uh, chemical reactions within cryptochrome are being affected by magnetic fields, by weak magnetic fields, mm-hmm. in a way that is definitely electron spin dependent. Mm-hmm. But the next layer of evidence is again from, say, birds. People uh-huh. during migration season, those are beautiful, hard experiments done with like 15 birds that they capture during migration mm-hmm. season. They put them in cages, they mess up with the magnetic field, and the birds want to go out through different directions. Uh-huh. Right. And, and that evidence is actually consistent with the spin phenomenon being driving the phenomena under the hood. Right. OK. Uh, experiment with flies. I have no idea. You have to explain this to me on that. But flies okay. apparently can be trained to find food based on the presence of a ma- presence of a magnetic field. How do you do this? That I haven't heard. Isn't this crazy? Uh, and, uh, and I've read a lot about flies because I I don't know if you knew that I recently wrote a book about drunk flies. <laughs> and, and, 
<laughs> Tell me more about drunk club. Uh, uh, well, the main topic, uh, very briefly, because this is about you today, and I, I'm having so much fun talking to you. Uh, basically, the instincts that we have about ingesting psychoactive substances okay. are conserved in nature. Okay? Oh. Fruit flies, fruit flies, for example, when a male fruit fly does not get female companionship, they like fermented fruit better than fresh fruit. They like to drink when they're lonely. Okay, so and it is super interesting. It is, and and those are bona fide experiments. People have tested that. Uh, actually, female fruit flies they can actually detect alcohol levels in fruits, and they can deposit their eggs in the in the fruits that have higher uh, levels of ethanol. So that can protect the eggs from predators. That is so cool. Okay, so. But about the magnetic fields that that I have never heard that. Isn't this cool? So apparently, yeah, they can train fruits to find food based on the presence of magnetic fields, and then the researchers knocked out the cryptochrome, removed okay. the cryptochrome from the flies, and the flies were no longer able to find food. Okay. And then in the next experiment, the researchers put back human cryptochrome. And the flies were back to being able to find food. Uh, well, I, it's clear cut. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, there's no, yeah. But, but it, it's super cool. Still, there's no experiment that, that shows that this correlative data has to do with the quantum phenomenon happening inside the flies. Okay. Like, in the sense that nobody has seen at the same time, in, in the same experiment, the quantum degrees of freedom and how changing those quantum degrees ah, of freedom okay. influence physiology, right? And that's what we want to do. We want to bridge those two lens scales, the lens scales from like test tube yeah. chemistry to lens scale of whole organism. And we want to do this from the bottom up. We want to, in the same experiment, be able to mess up with the electron spin states. And we do that with coils, with magnetic yeah. producing coils. And in the same experiment, be able to measure that. And for that, you need quantum technology to do okay. this. You need to treat those endogenous quantum mechanical degrees of freedom in biology as mm -hmm. if they were, because they are bona fide quantum sensors, bona fide yeah. quantum objects, right? And we want to mess up with those quantum mechanical degrees of freedom in different ways and see how this is affecting okay. biology, let's say, in a single cell by looking at other uh, physiological markers say say how much reactive oxygen species is produced, okay. produced uh -huh. how much your cell metabolism is working and things like this and we want to correlate those things in the same experiment but with the degrees of freedom in a protein and and, and again you can laugh at me if i'm saying something stupid no but... stupid question <laughs> yeah if you have a, a protein that it's able to undergo those degrees of freedom to yeah. uh to, to different quantum states if you substitute atoms in the molecule with uh, heavier isotopes, uh, okay, without changing the the role of the protein, could you change the degrees of freedom by changing the isot the isotopes in certain atoms? Um, probably not the okay. relative spins degrees of freedom, but 
and that that comes to, to to the second part of your question but you can change vibrational frequencies and that might be important and and i, I can talk okay. about that in a second but but okay that's yeah. another pet peeve that i have because when people talk about vibrational energies they don't mean oh, the same thing as you do no no yes, yes. <laughs> okay, okay vibrations and stuff oh my god yes we, we can yeah. talk about that too <laughs> yeah yeah no no really because I, I, I again i'm interested in weird things just like the next person i'm also a scientist and i, and I deal with evidence uh, and you cannot explain an unknown with another unknown i know and and by saying that everything is quantum oh it's quantum physics no yeah yeah no no no, no. and this again this doing this brings back like the field a couple of of, of yeah, steps uh, absolutely absolutely because we lose credibility but yeah but, and again when a person has an honest question I'm happy. I'm happy with it. I'm happy with it. So, yeah. So, and then that's essentially what you're dealing in your own research. Yes, that's what I'm doing with my own research. And and can I tell you? Absolutely. Tell me anything you want. Okay. I just want to finish by saying where I want to be. Right. So, even though it all started with birds, there's now evidence that the same type of quantum dependent chemical reaction might be at play in so many different physiological phenomena. Again, from the regulation of reactive oxygen species, which is that stuff that if you have too much, it's bad for you. Um, how much DNA gets repaired by enzymes. Uh-huh. Uh, it has to do with how your metabolism is working. Again, everything at a very, the, the evidence that exists is, is low tech. It's like at the ver- those very large landscapes. For example, let me tell you about two evidences that, that you will find. Okay. And I hope your audience will find super cool too. I'm sure. I'm sure they will. So um, all our processes inside, I mean, inside ourselves, again, you know about this much more than I do. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just like repeating stuff here. It's all regulated by ion channels or the, the, the flux of ions through channels that exist in the cell membrane. Yes. And um, people have applied weak magnetic fields onto a plate of cells. And they have, again, measured, not quantum mechanically, but they have measured macroscopically with the, in a plate of cells that there's a, a change in ion channel activity. Okay. Okay. So um, and now I'm going to get a little bit more technical. Take this go, as a go, go ahead. Go ahead. There, there is a... Um, field of study that is called optogenetics and people oh. in optogenetics what they do is apparently right i mean I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay <laughs> they genetically encode uh, proteins uh, in cells that when you shine light upon them they help ion channels open and close so mm-hmm. that we have a laser s- sort of handle to open yeah. and close ion channels so imagine doing the same but with weak magnetic fields Mm -hmm. if it's really true that it's those quantum mechanical degrees of freedom that are actually changing the way ion channels work Mm -hmm. imagine being able to deterministically understand how to change ion channel functioning without the need to genetically encode anything just by applying magnetic fields okay and 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 with that i close the parentheses because it's a much more general thing in that each chemical reaction depends on a different magnetic field strength and frequency mm-hmm. so where i want to be in 30 years is like i have my phone i open up an app 
and then I press there. Oh, I need help with wound healing that has been shown macroscopically to depend on weak magnetic fields in a way consistent with spins. So I press in my app and then my phone produces the exact magnetic field frequency and intensity that I need. And then you apply your phone close to where you need help. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Right. But what's not said is that before we get there, there's like decades of scientific work needed with like big experiments, big quantum experiments so that we can get the code book at the nanoscale. It's like big yes. experiments that look like quantum computing experiments, they, they don't <laughs> microscopes at all, that can help us get the information at the nanoscale of how each spin is being actually modified by different magnetic fields. Okay. So that we can have a code book, right? So that we say, well, if you need help with wound healing, you apply this magnetic field. Oh, okay. If you need help with like ion channel opening of this type, you need this frequency. And, uh, and that can, uh, if I'm, uh, I mean, uh, going crazy with these ideas, uh, that can help maybe even anxiety, depression. That, that, uh, that is it. And again, there is already, again, low tech or correlational yeah. evidence that magnetic fields might have uses for, for like the de uh, depression um, mm -hmm. and anxiety treatments, right? Uh, there's people doing vagus nerve stimulation in a way uh -huh. that is understood. It's really like, electromagnetics in biology and i'm claiming that there's evidence that some of this is quantum mediated yeah. and that if we understand how this is done we could actually harness those endogenous and fine-tune those mm -hmm. knobs okay. right towards treatment but then again we need a lot of years yeah of absolutely see yeah that is so interesting I, I envy you in the in the best possible way I, i'm telling you I, I like everything that you're you're telling me that's because oh. that's because you don't know how hard it is to get funding for this research. Well, <laughs> yeah but, but that, that's another story which we'll talk about in a moment yes. <laughs> so, yes. but so as interesting as that specific field of yours is are there any other maybe couple of areas yes. that catches your eye or your in, your interest in that uh, topic? Yes. Um, there's actually a, a lot of different other ways at which nature might be using quantum mechanical laws. For example, um, there is a quantum phenomenon called tunneling. Okay? Oh, yeah. yeah. So tunneling, uh, in, in an analogy, again, in a macroscopic analogy, means that if you have a wall, Right, and you want to put a ball from one side to the other side of the wall. If you're dealing with a classical wall and a classical ball, you have to throw the ball over the wall. Yeah. Except that for things as small as electron and protons, actually sometimes the ball or the electron or the proton, right, can actually go through the wall from one side to the other without losing energy and without being That's destroyed. How Yeah, that, that's how stars generate their energy, right? Uh, they're they're tunneling uh, to generate nuclear fusion in the inside of stars. Yes. and, and I, I read a lot about these things. I love it. <laughs> and that's also what is behind your transistors, like in your uh -huh. computer. Uh, yeah. Right? Your whole electronics, again, from, from stars to, to, to your computer, to your uh -huh. classical computer, to, to our electronics. It's all based on tunneling. So right now, you and I can talk at opposite ends of the country because yes. you're in California now, right? Yes. yes. So, and I'm near Philadelphia. Yes. Uh, okay, so 
we are, we can talk about this in real time because of tunneling. Yes. Yes. <laughs> right. And and again, we already live in a quantum world, right? Yep. I mean, technological quantum world. Now it's up to us to to realize that well, maybe if if humankind is harnessing quantum, maybe nature has had billions of years to to do the same. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so there is very compelling evidence that enzymes, the 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 thing again, you're you're much better placed. <laughs> what enzymes is but like um enzymes uh work and work well and help chemical reactions happen because of tunneling right so okay sort of super well studied that without tunneling there's no enzymatic help for chemical because reactions. they need to overcome an energy an energy barrier yes okay yes. that's okay right? and and there are like unusual ways to overcome such energy yeah. barrier, right Th this is one The other one um, has to do um, with processes such as um, photosynthesis, right? Mm -hmm. um, where it's now uh, known that a photosynthesis actually uses noise or uses like the unavoidable interactions with the environment to function better. It's as if um, in your classroom analogy, imagine that you want to go from one side of the classroom to the other, right? Uh, if you're alone in the classroom, you can walk. But imagine if the classroom is super full, super, uh, uh, super noisy, right? With plenty of people moving, uh -huh. and they might actually help you move faster from one side to the other via carrying you, sort oh, of like in a rock concert. Yes, exactly. Uh, okay, 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 okay. Right. So uh, apparently, uh, photosynthesis is using something like that to function better and to transport energy better because yeah. uh, photosynthesis like plants are extremely good at grabbing photons of light from yeah. the sun and and making it uh, and transporting this this energy so that it becomes food right yes. and, and actually what a lot of people don't know is that like people now uh, produce solar cells which try to mimic photosynthesis to some extent Uh, Humankind-made cells are crappy compared to plants to, oh, to leaves. Uh, absolutely, I believe okay. you. So uh, this is another way. Another uh, another thing that I want to mention uh -huh. is this receptor thing that you talked about. So, um, thought that things that involve receptors, for example, olfaction, um, mm -hmm. things people now are thinking about uh, of like the way that viruses hook up. Uh -huh. to the membrane of cells, everything that involves uh, mechanisms that today we call lock and key, that involves mm -hmm. receptor and a, a negative receptor that, that sort of hooks up into it. In a, in a, You're in a talking my language now, okay. <laughs> uh, you have to, to clarify. And I think that the importance of that is, is also like things like serotonin uptake. I think it's also like receptor. So, yeah. so this might have implications. So everything that people thought Again, this is not super proven, but mm -hmm. there's a little bit of consistent evidence with that, that um, instead of, of like those hooking up processes, instead of only being lock and key, it's lock, key, and vibration. Okay, it's like an induced fit. Okay, like... A, so, yeah, oh... Like trying to get in a shirt, like trying to get in a shirt that is a little small for you. You, you, you wiggle. Oh my God, 
I, I love that. I, 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 I have to... I, I, I'm, I'm very good with analogies. <laughs> If I say so myself, I'm very good with, with... <laughs> that. That is perfect. That is perfect. And I, I, I've got at least three new. <laughs> I'll send you a picture of me. So you, when you say the analogy in class, you, you know, you can show the ugly bald guy. And <laughs> Thank you. No, it's, it's exactly that. It's, it's like the, the shirt and, and you wiggle a little bit. Okay. The way that people have um, actually discovered it, right? Uh, again, this is not super well established, but I do believe this evidence. So um, some molecules right, got changed. So in doing those experiments, here's what people did. They exposed flies to two types of molecules. The molecules differed in that a certain hydrogen was mutated to a deuteron. Okay. So that okay. the shape of the molecule was the same, mm -hmm. but the mass of the molecules was slightly different which means in physical terms that they vibrate at slightly different ways. Got it. And, and people saw that the flies, they smell, like the receptor is that, that there's a receptor and th these molecules, one of which type was, vib was mm -hmm. mutated, locks into a receptor. And what people saw was that flies respond differently. They love one of the smell of the molecules and they okay. hate the other. And if it were only lock and key, they would react to both molecules in the same way. Yep. So they hypothesize that this is actually lock, key, and vibration, mm -hmm. right? So imagine, and okay, so this is for like olfaction receptors. Mm -hmm. Now there's theory that proposes that, well, if this is were this to be really true for olfaction receptors, there's no reason to think why this couldn't be. True yeah, for, for everywhere. Yeah. In, yeah. And imagine trying again, I am super what I'm excited about quantum biology uh -huh. is being able to affect biological processes using yes. those quantum mechanical degrees of freedom. So imagine yes. like if you have a virus that attaches to a cell, imagine if we can give vibrations of some sort that that makes the virus not want to hook up to the cell that you deta detaches from the okay yeah it's right so again this is all science fiction oh, oh, oh uh, yeah but that's how good science begins by science fiction yeah yes yes so i'm super excited about this prospect and i think that this is this lock and key and vibration mechanism has a super potential for being explored too for oh my gosh uh, oh this is a uh, i have the feeling that i will have to invite you again <laughs> uh, to, to keep talking about this but i'm sorry i talk too much i'm sorry no 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 not at all no 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 please do not apologize I, i'm loving this and i'm sure uh everybody there uh it, it's gonna love it uh trust and, me and, and my students if there's any student of mine here you will hear on as analogy in your classes <laughs> <laughs> Cool. No, but but I, I'm enjoying this immensely. You have no idea. Me too. So now that you mentioned students, yes, I, I wanted to touch upon an excellent initiative that you have about helping out uh, students financially in a very specific situation. Can you tell us about yeah. it? Thank you so much for helping with this cause. So academia is, and, and universities in general, are cool places to do work right? We do a lot of cool work. 
we have relative mm -hmm. freedom to explore new things to 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 push the boundaries of science and at some point when we complete a work we need to convey uh this work to other people we need to talk to other scientists talk to the public in general mm -hmm. right and um many times we do so in uh, professional conferences right each so each uh, field of study has a couple of conferences that people go to and there are some systemic problem problems mm -hmm. uh one uh, in academia one of which is something that i suffered when i was when i was a student right mm -hmm. and this is the fact that um many times the grants that the professors get for, for the people in their groups to present at conferences i mean the grant has a pot of money that can go towards students going to conferences yep. except for the fact that oh jesus i i get emotional talking about it because it's it's again it shouldn't be like this and i understand yeah so um because of the way the university payment system works they cannot pay for students in advance to go to conferences mm -hmm. right students usually need to pay in advance for their hotel for their flight for their poster costs and yeah. get get reimbursed and we for our, our listeners out there who may not be in a university setting going to a scientific conference depending on where you go can be up to a thousand dollars or maybe more Okay, yes. when you pay the registration, I don't yes. know, plane tickets, hotel. Yes. And I understand exactly where you're coming from because when I was a student, I didn't have a thousand dollars available. Yeah. I know, I know. Yeah. And this is so crazy, right? Because it's it's leaving out people, uh, I mean leaving people out of the scientific process, right? Absolutely. Because it's not everyone that can pay to go to a it's not everyone that has one thousand dollars in the bank. I didn't have this money either. Mm -hmm. Right. This is from 30 to 50 percent of uh, a graduate student salary. Yeah. So how is there a better way to do this? And again, I, I, I don't think there is a final solution, but one of the things I was trying to get uh, for my students and I opened a GoFundMe uh, page that wanna thank you for supporting personally the cause. And if uh, you allow uh, me, I'll share the, the link. Absolutely. And I will post uh, a link of any initiative. Yeah. That, that, okay. yeah. So what I want to do, and maybe that's the first seed of something that can become, I mean, maybe we, we, we should start brainstorming out ideas on maybe how to, yeah. to set this up. But what I wanted to do was a pot of money that my students can use to pay upfront from the conferences. Mm -hmm. And when they're reimbursed by the grants, because usually that's the case, right? Mm -hmm. Usually they do get reimbursed, but they get reimbursed like three to six months later, right? And this is a lot of money, right? Yeah. So for the students to get the money to go to the conference from this pot of money, and then they pay back this pot of money. So I'm trying to raise a decent pot of money that is not going anywhere. It's just going to, to go back and forth yeah. in my trainings. So that it's like a, like a no interest loan. So they can use to pay uh, in advance for their uh, conference. Yes, and and on a, now thinking about it, I mean, maybe if you're if you're willing, maybe we could think about a way of doing this in a slightly bigger scale or something for trainees. I mean, uh, I'm already thinking about possible ideas uh, yeah. because uh, uh, first of all, uh, again, uh, part of the reason why I invited you was your initiative uh, yeah. because I think it's an excellent idea, and I 
I wish many advisors would think like you. Uh, okay, so, uh, and I'm, on behalf of everybody out there, thank you for thinking about this. Uh, and again, it's the, it's the first uh, step. It can be modified. It can be, there can be some quantum permutations that we can actually improve it. But yeah, we can actually certainly think uh, about it. So, but then again, uh, of course, the universities uh, financially, they have to follow accounting and all. Uh, we understand that. Okay, yeah. so that, that's a reality. But there can, it's only logical that there can be ways to help out those students who, who may need that money in advance because not everybody comes from money. Not, yeah. not, not everybody, sadly. And actually, and actually not, it's a privilege to be able to attend. Exactly, it, that's what I'm getting at. That, that's a, 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 I heard a term gatekeeping. Uh, yes. uh, it's gatekeeping yes. people who are perfectly capable. So, um, yeah, th there's many ways in which we can uh, help out in that sense. And I'm, I I'm already thinking uh, maybe, so we can keep getting in touch uh, uh, about that. Uh, so do you have a specific website dedicated to that? Or uh, is it the GoFundMe? Uh... Go GoFundMe page. Uh -huh. uh, it doesn't have a specific link. I'll share it in the comments or in the. Okay, the please. Uh, I'll do that. Uh, but I would thank anyone who could. I mean, I, I'm putting a little bit of my own money there to, yeah. to help. Yeah. Again, it's it, this money. It's not going anywhere. It goes back and forth among the trainees of my lab. And I again, I I am super happy to share the 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 results of this experiment, yeah. right? Because it's all yeah. an experiment. And, and to everybody out there, I mean, uh, if you're like me, I, I can pay like $6 for a coffee or something like that. Uh, I, I'm willing to not get my coffee one day of the week. Yeah, exactly. and, and I'm sure, uh, doctor, how do you pronounce your last name, Clarice? Aiello. 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 Okay. Doctor Aiello. Uh, we'll like, we'll be Clarice. grateful oh, for Dr. Aiello is too formal. Uh, I know, but you know what I mean. <laughs> you know what I mean. Uh, so <laughs> we'll be grateful. And Yes. More importantly, yes. her students will be grateful. And maybe, hopefully, this is something that can start like a movement. Yes. Uh, okay. I don't know about the legal things that we need to set up for that. You know, we, we can explore these type of things. Yeah. But, but in my view, uh, it's no different than the things that I know you're doing to, with your own students, that you can loan their, uh, their money from your yeah. money. And yeah. it, it's like that. Nobody is benefiting financially from that. No, okay? no, no, it, it's, no it's just knowledge. It's yeah. just knowledge. And the opportunities to the serving students yes. uh, in, in, in the sciences. Yes. Okay? And if you are a, a, a girl, even better. <laughs> so, or a minority. Or a minority, or a minority yeah. I, I, but you know what I mean, because I'm sensitive to that. Because, again, my daughter, my wife, uh, we have talked about that before. And I have had so many students that, uh, female students, who, who tell me, well, uh, people in my family told me not to go into the sciences because I'm not good at math. And don't say that. Don't say that. Exactly. Don't say that. Exactly. Don't say that. Exactly. Uh, and that's part of the reason why, again, I'm happy to, make your, to meet you and to be your friend, if I may, uh, because you are a, a great example of that. You're a great example of that. So a successful scientist, electrical engineer from freaking MIT, okay, that's not easy. It can be done. It, it, it's, is it going to be difficult? Of course, it's going to be difficult. But you, if any girls out there, any 
child uh, minority. I'm Puerto Rican, by the way. I told you the, this yes. before. Yes. So yes. I'm sorry I don't look Latino. <laughs> like, that's another story. I mean, it can be done. I, as a former student several years ago, I, I want to thank you. Uh, on behalf of all the students out there who may benefit and, and I just want to say to people, too, that they don't need to do this alone, right? Especially minorities, right? Yes. You are not alone. When you feel that you do not belong, please do not feel alone. Think about other people who might be in the same situation. Reach out. Yes. Right? Don't, do, don't go it alone, right? Um, there's a whole support system that might be hard to find, but... but yeah. Please spend a little bit of time trying to find the support system, trying to find people like you because you do belong. Yes. Thank you. That's the main idea. You do belong. And again, those fellow people with a different accent than others in this country, (laughs) I mean, everybody has an accent. Everybody has an accent. Uh, uh, Right? You probably speak two, maybe three languages. (laughs) Okay? Uh, uh, So. None of them properly, but well, yes. it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I speak English, Spanish, and nonsense, but that's a, a, a different <laughs> idea. <laughs> but you, you, you should ask my wife. <laughs> no, but but joke aside, would you uh, do you have a specific website uh, for your research that you like to share? You would you want to send it to me? Um, you want me I'll to post it? it? To you. I, I'll send that to you. I am okay. very active on Twitter. Oh, I yes, have yeah. a secret. I have still to 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 to, to do a, a decent web page for my group. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I'm very active on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Clarice C L A R I C E D for my middle name D as yeah. the mark as in Delta I yellow A I E L L O. Yeah. And my lab is my lab is called Quantum Biology Tech that shortens to Qubit, which is a play with the word quantum. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Quantum Biology Tech Lab, and we are um, at Twitter in qubit underscore lab. Okay, perfect. So, Clarice, I want to thank you ever so much for spending this time with us uh, today. I had great fun. Thank you. Yes, I I enjoyed myself immensely. Thank you for the good work that you are doing scientifically and on behalf of your students. And thank you for the support in all the fronts. And thank you for listening. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, talk to you soon. Well, everyone, as always, thank you ever so much for listening to the Bolsanis podcast. Please be healthy, be safe, and stay out of trouble. <laughs> you know the rest. Take care.